Hello, I'm Montana. And I'm Samantha. And you're listening to Reaper Tales. And today we're bringing you another joint episode. This is a strictly unsolved one. I know that some people don't like the unsolved episodes, but we implore you to please listen because there's always going to be a call for help at the end of them. For Uh, sure. I mean, I'm not, they're not my favorite. I do like to have a finality to the cases that I cover, but this was one that was requested. The one that I'm covering was one that was requested and I wanted to do it, but I think this is actually something that we'll probably do more than once specifically because a lot of these unsolved are by nature shorter because there's Mm -hmm. a lot less information. So it makes sense for us to do two at a time sometimes. So I think we might do these a little more often. Yeah, and just, like, talking about the lack of any information on these unsolves, a lot of the ones that I look into and the ones that don't get solved are normally um, people of color or indigenous people, and they don't get a lot of coverage. So this is kind of like our our way of trying to help in whatever resource we can give to it. Um, Yeah. As finite as what we offer, obviously, Um, we have lovely listeners and you guys can definitely do your part too. So, yeah. And especially since a lot of these are local and I know we have a good deal of like local listeners. um, If you have any information, that's why we try to keep it as local as possible, especially when it comes to unsolved. Mm -hmm. Uh, You might be able to help solve something one day. But before we get started, Samantha, what are we drinking? Uh, this is unsolved. And, uh, so it's more on a serious note. We're going to pick your poison. And for me, I, uh, it's one I've already done, uh, in the past, but I kind of wanted to go back to something comfortable, I guess. I didn't want to try anything new today. <laughs> um, so it's the Ricky Tiki mango IPA, uh, from straight to ale. That's a local brewery in Huntsville. Um, I picked, and I actually, I showed you the can earlier before we started recording. Um, and then I realized I didn't want you to see fully what it was. So I pulled oh, it. Oh, I couldn't, I couldn't. So mission, mission accomplished. It looked, um, it looked like a pretty can. I have the Juice Raptor, and this is from Midnight Brewery. Oh, just, I've actually. Brewery I've, just opened in. I might have had that one. You probably from have. the From the brewery here in Birmingham. Yeah. Um. So for the listeners that don't know, Monday night is a brewery. It's got locations in Atlanta and Birmingham, and they just opened a location here in Charlotte. So I went to the opening weekend this weekend. And got oh, now we can, we can share beers. Mm-hmm. For the first time. <laughs> we'll have to put it. We'll have to um, plan it for one of the next cases. Yeah, I didn't even true. think about that. Monday night mysteries. Um uh, I just thought of a new segment. No, oh, I'm not doing that. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, before we actually, before we get started, I do want to talk about something. Um, and that is the Lizard Man Festival or the Lizard Man style. Uh, if you guys remember, do you have to? I've I've got to talk about it. Okay. All right, I give got, your review. 
I got a, I got a shirt. I got a pin. I got a sticker. I got the whole thing. Didn't but see you a didn't find lizard didn't man. Find lizard man. No. Uh, for those who are new and you're listening to this as your first episode, um, you're probably wondering why she's bringing this up. <laughs> yeah, I would suggest not doing that. Uh, my favorite episode so far in our whole show history is going to be what lurks below. So maybe start with that. Um. That was such a good one. The cryptids are one to start with. Yeah. Uh, But there's another one. uh, There's an episode uh, called Get Out of My Swamp or something like that. I I think that's what I called it. Normally I'm naming these things in a fever dream in the middle of the night while I'm editing it. That explains a lot. (laughs) An hour before it needs to go up. So I name it stupid stuff. Um, But I covered the lizard uh, man of Skateboard Swamp which is located in Bishopville, South Carolina. And my husband and I and a day one listener who is a big fan of the show. Hi, Robert. uh, Went to Bishopville for the Lizardman stomp. And uh, it was okay. (laughs) That glowing recommendation. (laughs) No, no, no. It's, well, it's they. It's the second annual. I, I had I had some bones to pick. Okay, it was the second annual, and they make it look like it's going to be bigger than it is. It's not very big. It's like one main street. The vendors are so spread out. Um, like there's not a lot of vendors to begin with. They do have like live music. We maybe spent an hour there. It, you know, I didn't see a lizard man. I didn't get a picture with a lizard man. Um. Yeah, I went into some shops. I did get some Lizard Man art from local artists. Nice. So, very cool. Um, but we did find, so we went to lunch afterwards, uh, went to a really cool place right down the road. And pretty much everywhere you go in this town, it's going to be Lizard Man. Like, Lizard Man is everywhere, except Lizard Man is nowhere during the festival. So, good <laughs> luck. Um, Ironic. My second, like, my second issue with it was, like, I don't think I've ever been to a festival, especially not in the past 10 years, where they didn't serve beer. There was, like... Really? There was, like, no beer. It's a small town. And I, I was, like, oh, well, they'll have, like, you know, one of the bigger beer vendors or something like that, you know. Because even in, like, Asheville... At least a Bud Light. <laughs> yeah. In Asheville, you know, we went to the Leaf Festival. It's not a huge festival. And you, you walk in, you get, like, two beer tickets, and you can go to the beer tent and get a beer. Walk around, buy art, look at all the cool stuff. So, I mean, it wasn't a game changer for me. Um, but it was just like, I'm just supposed... You're just supposed to buy a bunch of t-shirts, and that's it. Sounds like it. So interesting. Um, I'd be interested to see how they change it up in the coming years. I I would like to see it get better, and then we can go back and find Lizard Man. Um, yeah, yeah, but he's less likely to be noticeable. Well, I don't know. Maybe he wants to make an appearance. Who knows? Maybe. But we did on the way home because uh, Bishopville is actually about two hours away from where I live. On the way back, we did look up other festivals. Uh, There are several in West Virginia and Virginia, and we're going to check those out, too. So, 
Nice. Look out, Mothman uh, and uh, Bigfoot. And there's another one, and it's a cryptid I'm going to do real soon, so I'm not going to tell you the name of it. And it's going to be okay. standalone. So, okay. Let's get excited about that. Anyways, I've taken up enough time. I'm going to go ahead and You're first. My, my story. So, my story, I, I don't think you would have heard of this. Um, I, yeah, I don't think that you would have heard of this. But I'm going to tell you about the uh, Belo shooting massacre. Yeah. I have no, a bunch of resources. Um, I'm not going to name all the resources. I cite them some in my show notes. You can reference them or I, I cite them throughout this whole thing, but you can reference them in the show notes uh, if you so choose to do so. So. The Beeler, they're there. They're we there. have proof that we did the research. We we definitely did the research in the middle of the night while I researched <laughs> like four different other things because of course. that's how I work. So on a Sunday, on June 6, 1993, a grocery store, the Belo Supermarket, sat at the heart of Birdie County on Granville Street in Windsor, North Carolina. The store closed at 6 p.m. that day. Shortly after closing, the cleaning crew arrived and started their evening shift. Johnny Rankins, Sylvester Welch, Jasper Hardy, and Thomas Hardy were the four cleaning crew members. And they're actually like an independent cleaning crew from what I, I could gather. So they're like a contracted crew that comes in to help out oh, okay. and clean out. Clean up. So not hired. They don't work for that company that's, directly. That's so. what I'm pretty sure happens here. And this was a what kind of company? A convenience store? It's a supermarket. It's called oh, a below supermarket. It's like a I don't know that store. I've ever heard of a supermarket or a grocery store having contracted cleaners. I mean, I work. Let me let me just put. Let's go ahead and start on the tangents. I worked at a grocery store. That was my first job. And you know who got to clean the bathrooms? That would be you, ma'am. You know, I got to clean the floors and all of the the belts and stuff that the cashiers use, all of that. We did. So that's interesting. I guess yeah. it was done different in this area. What time? So this was um, right after the store closed at 6 p.m. So right after. No, no, no like year. Oh, 1993. Oh. Summer hmm. of 1993. Okay. Yeah. I, I thought that was weird, too, because the only article, there's one article that referenced them being an independent, like, contracting cleaning crew. And I was like, oh, that's odd. Um, also, why would you put that in there? But whatever. Yeah. Okay. Maybe they did it differently, or maybe this is a bougie store like uh, Whole Foods. or something. It's not a bougie store. Um, okay, then I don't, I don't understand. <laughs> I don't understand, but we'll keep going. It might Things were done different. Yeah. 90s was a hell of a time. Let's just go ahead and say truly, that. Truly was. Uh, <laughs> I grace you guys with my presence in the 90s. You're welcome. <laughs> oh, gosh, I forget about that. <laughs> I know, you damn 80s, baby. Uh, <laughs> no, it's so... Shut up. It I'm knocking on the door of 30. Don't remind me. Oh, aren't we all? 
uh, we'll be saying in 10 years, we're knocking on the door 50. Shut up. Yeah, whatever. Um, it, I don't know that it was, it could have been a bougie store for the time. Could have been. It was, it was from the pictures I could see, it was kind of cluttered. It looked like a very large convenience store, very cluttered, very large convenience store. And it had, but it had a lot of things like a supermarket would have. So like groceries and like necessities and also like pet shit. So. It's like a supermarket type deal. Piggly Wiggly. Yeah. Uh, food line. So, our perspective, uh, yeah. <laughs> local grocery stores. Um, uh, da, 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 where was I at? Oh, okay. So, it was Johnny Rankin, Sylvester Welch, Jasper Hardy, and Thomas Hardy. Uh, Jasper Hardy and Thomas Hardy are brothers. The store manager, Grover Cecil, and a cashier, Joyce Reason, we're in the process of closing up the store for the night when the cleaning crew arrived. So there were two employees that worked at the grocery store who were like cleaning up the tit, like cleaning out the tills, closing out all that crap. Um, oh, I know. Uh, so, so much to do. I never worked at a grocery store, but I worked at a you Walgreens. Didn't much. You well, didn't miss much. <laughs> I worked at a Walgreens and every night at 11 o'clock we had to pull all tills because we were a 24 hour one too. So we did closing things at 11 and just refreshed everything. So it was like doing all the closing stuff just without actually closing the fucking store. Mm-hmm. So a customer can yeah. come up to you and be like, hey, you got a bunch of money right there? Yeah, and they always do. Like, yeah, they always do. Go not back funny. away slowly. Yeah. And it's not funny. Anyway. So as they went about their normal tasks, things they had done many times before, they failed to realize that the crew of six closing the store for that night weren't the only ones locked inside the store with them. You see, during the day, someone had hidden inside the store and waited for it to close. I was always scared of this when I had to close the store. We always had to do a walkthrough after we closed the doors for that reason. Mm-hmm. And maybe... Well, this is a case that caused part of those precautions. Well, I was always scared when we worked at the bank, but I, the things that we had in place to open the bank kind of kept it from, I mean, whoever was outside was pretty much fucked if somebody's trying to follow you in, but person inside safe. <laughs> pretty much. Oh. <laughs> God, that was so dark. <laughs> That's what I thought about every time I was like, was this all, all our time and anytime we talk about our previous job there it's dark it's, it's what dark. it is it was a dark time except for the time that jason and i made the fart room that was great always bring <laughs> that up glad i never mistakenly went in there it just smelled like just straight up uh Mo's or the hot dog stand from behind the building because it was all we ate uh good time, good time. <laughs> so the unidentified man approached the store manager grover cecil and forced him to empty the registers into a shopping bag and i just want to premise this by saying some articles said that he didn't like out the gate rob them but then in many others it said that he did so i'm as opposed to what what do you mean out the gate so like his initial like interaction with these people wasn't to steal the money it was what's going to happen next. Mm, okay. uh, 
it's just been kind of like a point of debate on what the motivation behind this was. Was it robbery? Was it something else? So just premising that for you. After robbing the store, the man escorted Grover and Joyce, the cashier, to the rear of the store. He then made Grover, and if you don't remember because you weren't fully listening because you're like me, Grover is the store manager. He made him call for the cleaning crew to the back corner aisle of the store. When everyone was accounted for in the back of the store, the unidentified man made Grover duct tape everyone to restrain them. Then the man duct taped Grover's hands himself. There's also like some accounts where it says this man, this unidentified man pulled a dog leash off of the shelf and help like to help restrain some of them um it doesn't have a point right now but it might in the end so just keep that in mind okay and i'm gonna like blanket warning i'm sure you know what's coming um you know murder uh but it's an odd way that this happens so just kind of be prepared you're gonna be like what the fuck the man then had the closing crew lay on top of each other. So he put them two to a pile. So he had one person lay down and had another person lay on top of that person. So it was three stacks of two people each okay. laying on top of each other. Then he opened fire on them. He shot three times, once at each pile of humans. And I don't really know how else to explain that. I don't know how to describe that. uh, Except for, yeah. Yeah, I don't know that there is another way to describe it. Yeah, it's... Any way that you do describe it is just going to sound bad. Um, I'm not, like bringing levity to this whole situation it's like he made people lay on top of each other and then he shot into those people three times um once each so bam 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 presumably he did it so that he could use less bullets or have an easier time well i'm glad you bring that up because that comes up later and we'll get to it um he killed what kind of gun it was um 42 Okay. Yeah. Interesting. That's what I saw. I, I didn't write it in my notes, but that's what I saw from one or when, from the depths of my mind. I remember seeing a 42. Um, <clears throat> he killed all three victims that were on top of their fellow employees. And he actually wounded one that was below. Um, the employees... <sighs> That Okay, sorry. Let me rewind a little bit. He killed all three employees that were on top of their fellow employees. Grover, the store manager, was one. Joyce, the cashier, was another. And Johnny Rankins, one of the cleaning crew, was the third one to die. Sylvester Welch, who was laying under one of the dead victims, was also head but was still alive. 
there's so many accounts of why what happens next happens. Some articles say that the gun jammed, so he couldn't continue to shoot these victims. Others say that the reason he stacked them up like that in the beginning was because he only had three bullets to begin with, a la what you said. Um, I'm not sure which is true. Because well, I was thinking that would be a way of trying to, like, fool police. Because it would be like, six people died, but only three, they only found three bullets or something like that. Like, just making it more confusing for some, somehow. Yeah, but is this amateur hour? Does a 42, do you really think a 42 is going to go through two people? Are you asking me that question? Because I wouldn't, but... Well, that's I don't what know I'm, what's going through this person's head. He obviously hasn't thought. They obviously haven't thought this through. I'm not. I'm not a right guns way. expert, but even I know that a 42 wouldn't go through two, but well, not fully through enough to kill two people. But this isn't. This isn't Deadpool. It doesn't yeah. work that way. Uh, whatever. So pretty much. He was unable. It's just, to- it's just a very odd thing to do. That's all. So you know, trying to find some kind of reason behind it obviously is a ridiculous uh, practice. And well, why anyone kills is being futile. But yeah, I mean, why would anybody do it at all? But it's just a very odd thing to do. So uh, hi, Oakley. Um, yeah, yeah. So I'm not sure which one's true. In the end, I don't think it. I don't want to say that it doesn't matter. It just, being, whatever it was, being out of bullets, gun jamming, he hadn't had enough. And uh, he left them for a moment. Um, to go to the back room. And he found a knife back there. And before he actually left, he rolled the employees onto their stomachs and um, faced them like faced them down on the ground so they were all next to each other instead of being stacked up. And when he returned, he there's there's one article where I saw where he had an altercation like a back and forth with Jasper and Thomas. Jasper and Thomas are brothers. They're the Hardy brothers. And he, and I don't know if this article is true or not, which is why I didn't reference it, but I'm just going to go ahead and bring it up and say that this is kind of like what this article said is that this man asked Jasper if he would be able to identify him and Jasper kept saying, no, no, no. Like, I can't identify you. I don't know like who you are, blah, 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 blah. And, uh, the man didn't believe him. So he... Um, stabbed Jasper in the throat, slit his throat, and stabbed him in the back. And the wound to his back was reported to be so forcefully inflicted that the knife broke off in Jasper's back. Yes. Wow. What's really strange to me is, like, he had this whole interaction, quote-unquote quote interaction with Jasper, and then he turned around and he talked to Thomas and let him live. Like, didn't, noth- did nothing to Thomas. 
didn't harm him at all. And I'm not saying that Thomas, like, I'm not saying anything about Thomas. It's just like an, it's a bizarre behavior to injure five people, like, kill three people, critically injure two more, and then let somebody live without even touching them. Person obviously seems a little unbalanced, we'll say. Unhinged, for sure. After all was said and done, the killer walked out of the store with a little over $3,000 in cash and money orders. Not worth it. It's not worth it. No, no amount of money is worth killing somebody. I can tell you right now, no amount of money that you get from a convenience store, grocery store, bank is worth that. There's just, there's just not enough in that building. Banks don't keep that much money on. <laughs> yeah, it's really not like the TV and movies. Trust me. Um, yeah. He took. He also, when he left, he took the knife he used and, for some reason, the store keys. Okay. Lock up behind himself? Yeah. I guess. I don't know. So, Sylvester Welch, who was the uh, cleaning crew person who was under another person and was shot... Even though he was severely injured, once this killer managed to leave, Sylvester crawled his way to the front of the below and called for help. Yeah. Okay. Which again, and I hate to bring this up because I'm sure that Thomas has had it rough since all of this happened, but why the fuck didn't Thomas do it? Yeah, that's what I was wondering. And I've never actually... I don't know what other podcasts have to say about this. Some of them, I looked at, I looked to see who like covered this. And some of those podcasts are like an hour and a half long. And I'm like, bitch, what are you talking about? There's not that much information on this. Maybe it's a lot of debate back and forth on theories. Maybe. I just found it weird that like Thomas didn't get injured and then he didn't go for help. I don't, but I also don't know what his restraint was like. Cause they all were res- restrained. I just found it odd that. A critically injured person was the one to go and call for help. But again, Thomas could be like terrified and paralyzed. What what exactly do we know about Thomas outside of what you've already said? Nothing. Okay. Absolutely nothing. To this, he was a part of the cleaning crew, right? Yep. Him and his brother Jasper do we were even know his of. age. Mm-mm. Nope. Uh, so the only thing I can think of is either how he was restrained. Like if he was tied to something and couldn't get loose. Um, whereas the other ones were just kind of tied up. Yeah. Uh, or if there was some kind of special situation going on. Maybe he had PTSD and he was frozen and he couldn't move. Yeah. Um, you know, it something along those lines to where he was basically just helpless and couldn't do anything. And that's Which, what, I mean, that happens. It, it definitely does. happens. So and that's what I was there's saying. nothing I was to like, stay down about that, but that's the only thing I can really think of, because I would think any normal person in that situation would be the one to go get help, period. Just regardless of like how scared person, they yeah. were, they would do what they could. So that's what I'm saying. There, was pro- there must have been some kind of special circumstance that's not just, just not revealed. Yeah. 
I mean, that's that's the only thing I can think of. And especially since, like, some of these people live to tell the tale, obviously. And nobody's like, well, Thomas was sketchy. No, nothing like that ever comes out. So, uh, I just, I found it odd that he didn't get hurt. Like, you've already killed three people. You think you might have killed four. You've definitely injured another person. Critically injured. But you're going to leave one person alive. And then that one person doesn't get for help. But again. Maybe it was a case of this person thought. A. Thought that the last person that was uninjured. There wasn't any point in doing it. Yeah. Fair For whatever the reason. Maybe the reason why they didn't go and get help. Or. B. Maybe he thought he killed the other ones and he wanted somebody to be alive to tell the tale. Yeah, that could be it. Um, this guy does sound like a crazy person. Sure. So, uh, yeah. Anyway. Odd. It's odd. All of it's odd. Uh, but I don't think I don't think anything's sketchy about Thomas. I just think I don't think we're given the whole story is my whole thing. Makes sense. So, next part's a quote. Uh, It's still the worst crime scene I dealt with in my 30 years as an agent. Retired SBI agent Dwight Ransom told the Roanoke uh, Chowan News Herald. Plus, this crime happened only six blocks from my house. It happened in my town, so it's personal to me. Following the robbery slash murder... Rumors started to do what rumors do best. Some said it was a disgruntled uh, ex-law enforcement officer or a member of the military. But our pal Dwight Ransom thinks not. Quote, I don't think either scenario fits this man. It has always puzzled me that he had only one magazine for his pistol. A person trained in the military or as a police officer always carries more than one magazine. That leads me to believe he wasn't military or a police officer. All I do know is he is a cold-blooded killer. Unquote. Yes. Yeah, and the whole thing, like we had already said, of him putting people on top. I mean, if that was the case, then he obviously wasn't doing it to try to kill both people, in which case, why do it at all? That's a very odd thing to... It's time-consuming, and if you knew it wasn't going to kill both people when you stack them on top of each other, why do it? Yeah. Well, and my thing, too, is, like, this person, whoever this person is, I'm not going to get into it just yet. We're going to get into it when we're done. What we think. Um... I'm, like, trying... I want to, like, get into it so bad. Anyway. uh, (laughs) I'm not sure about the rumors um, myself. In one article I found on Medium.com, and I'm not sure how reliable Medium.com is, uh, you know. I've I've seen differing things, but it's a good place to get some information yeah for some hard to find elsewhere they always get a little bit more information and then when you pull that information you search specifically for that information on this case you can pull it up other places and i'm like how Mm -hmm. the fuck yeah Uh, that's that's some good investigating going on yeah 
So what I found on medium.com, uh, it said that the killer commented about recently losing his job over a drug deal gone wrong, that he was a cop and now he had quote, nothing left to lose. I think that's where, you know, the, the law, some of the law enforcement stuff came into play. But also this guy could just be crazy and assume and like in his head, he was a cop, but he actually never was. Who knows? I mean, I know it's like a federal crime to say that you're a cop when you're not, but um, all bets are out the window when you start murdering people. You can you can tell them. I mean, on the scale of things that you're going to get in trouble for, I feel like murder's pretty high up there, and more than one at a time. Yeah, uh, uh, a I don't think claiming to be a police a previous police officer is is much to compare. In that situation, he could tell me he's the president of the moon, and I'd fucking believe him. Let's go. Don't shoot me. Just don't shoot me. Whatever. It's fine. Yeah, absolutely. It was unfair. Um, Some more information that I found on Medium was that, quote, according to authorities, a white car with a Maryland license plate with two male occupants was seen by witnesses speeding north out of the town on U.S. 17 shortly after the police were notified of the incident. While never confirmed, it is believed that the gunman got away with help from an accomplice in a getaway car. Unquote. Which... I mean, he could have gotten away on foot. He didn't necessarily have to get away on in a car. A year after the Belo store murders in Windsor, another Belo store was robbed. This store was located in Hertford, Hertford, North Carolina. The gunman hid in the store until closing and then tied up the assailant's store manager, Dwayne Gilliam, and... In another article, I found that Dwayne actually worked at the Windsor below like a year and a half before the the Windsor massacre. So oh, wow. he, he had worked at that store. Then he went to be the manager at this other store. And then a similar situation happened. The assailant used duct tape and a dog leash. That's where the dog leash comes in. The same items used to tie up the victims in the Windsor store robbery. He fled with an undisclosed amount of cash and no one was injured in this encounter. And I don't, I couldn't, I could not find anything, not anything on the Hertzford robbery. If they had like a sketch of this person that was similar to the sketch in the Windsor massacre, nothing. That was, mm. that one paragraph was all I could get about the Hertzford robbery but it's so similar to me it's got it's either got to be the same person an accomplice or a copycat somebody oh yeah it have to be one of the three yeah because it's not just somebody going in there and be like you know what i'm gonna rob somebody today and i think the best way if it was the employee that moved to the other one and became the manager and then just pretended to be in the whole thing i think that they would know <laughs> I would hope. I think they would know. It's inside information. Because at the Windsor massacre, the man did not cover his face. So we do have a sketch of what he looks like. And I think if that sketch matched 
No, no, no. No, I'm saying what if he was a copycat and he went to the other store and oh, then just did the okay. same thing. Like he, he heard about the guts. Yeah, yeah. He didn't have the quote unquote guts to actually kill anybody, but was like, this guy got away with it. He like just robbed the tail, put it in his car, and then went in there and tied himself up and said, oops, I got robbed. Hey. We're, Dwayne, we're not coming yeah. after you. We don't actually believe that. <laughs> we're just being dicks. Uh, hey. Sorry, buddy. Um, <laughs> who the fuck is Samantha? Come on. In the end, three were I'm just saying. It's unsolved. I know. Uh, in the end, three were killed and two were critically injured during this robbery slash murder. Jasper, while critically injured, he's the one who had the knife broken off in his back did survive in the end, along with his brother Thomas, who was not harmed at all. Sylvester, who was also critically injured, survived, but in 2005, died of cancer. Aw. That sucks. Yeah, he didn't even live, like, another decade. That really sucks. Thomas and Jasper are still alive today, from what I could find, uh, but you can't really find anything on them, so you don't you don't know if they are there have been statements over the years from uh one of them i couldn't remember if it was jasper or thomas but uh they they aren't like in the public eye or anything like that this isn't a highly reported on case since this killer didn't cover his face there is a description of him the below killer is described as a black male with medium with a medium complexion light brown eyes and with a slender build. He was between 6 feet and 6 feet 2 inches tall and weighed 175 to 200 pounds. He wore a military-style haircut, and in some of the descriptions, it said that his nose appeared as if it had suffered a past sports industry. Industry. A sports industry. That's his own corporation. Injury. Uh, injury. <laughs> um... Uh, anyways, if you have any information, please contact the North Carolina Bureau of Investigation at 800-334-3000 or the Windsor Police Department at 252-794-3111. Also, uh, if you go to the North Carolina Bureau of Investigation website right now, it has been down for a week and you can't get to it. So good luck. Wow. So that's my case. Um, I want to know your thoughts because I have many. Well, I provided a lot of thoughts um, okay. throughout. So, and we're already running. I know, I know, I know. Okay. <laughs> so here's my whole thing um, the whole thing is chaotic, first off. You have somebody who had the forethought to stay in a store. Um, once it's closed to rob it, correct? And we're thinking, okay, this is a this is just simply for a robbery, right? They have the forethought to stay in there for a robbery. So they either had to like watch this place to know when it was going to close and what the closing like pr procedures are going to be and all of that stuff. That they don't have a panic button or something like that, right? Um. But not have enough forethought to, like, either... And this is kind of where, like, if the gun jams or if it actually ran out of bullet, it kind of, like, it does matter. Because if the gun jammed and he couldn't get it fixed, then he did actually have a plan 
to kill everybody that was actually going to be there. To me, makes a little bit more sense. Exactly. But then you you go to the stacking of the people. What the fuck was that? What was even the point of that? Unless it was just to control people. Like, it was just a way to keep people in a certain position to help control the situation. But again, like, so why doesn't... It doesn't make a lot of sense. And then you go back to... I go back to... If what Medium said is right, and this person did mention they were basically fired from a their police enforcer's job, whatever, because of a drug deal going wrong and they've gotten desperate, it, it would make sense to secure the person as a law enforcement agent, person, whatever, hoopla. To control the situation. It would make more sense for a law enforcement officer to do that than a military officer to do it, in my opinion. Though I don't know how military would really work. It just seems very, it doesn't seem organized at all to me. It seems very disorganized. It seems very disorganized, but also very thought out. I don't understand how this happened i think that's why it's still unsolved honestly and then to walk away with only three thousand dollars that was it and i can't think that that is what like a person who's thought this out and has like staked out a place to rob it i feel like would be paying attention to kind of how much cash is going in there Mm -hmm. so i feel like three thousand wouldn't be worth it worth the time no, I, I don't either. And especially if some of it was in a money order form. Yeah. I'm well, sure. at the time, back then, you could just take a stack of money orders and use them. Yeah, but you would have a tracking chick on Possibly, it. yeah. It was the 90s. Well, it's a little yeah, different. It's true. Things were wild back then. So that's my case. Um, do with that what you will. If you have any information... We'll have all that contact info in the show notes and our social media posts. But uh, Wild Ride, I've known about this for about a year. Wanted to cover it. Never did. Yeah, never heard of it. Very weird. Yes. And I'm, I'm so surprised, like, not a lot of other podcasts have covered it. I mean, some have. But, you know, not like the ones we listen to. So. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Good job. Um, Thanks. I'll be mulling that over. So thank you. That's why I don't like these cases. So (laughs) let's get on to my case. Uh, And this is one I've been mulling over since I did the research for it. It kind of bugs me. So this is the unsolved missing case of Carrie Lawson. This is actually recommended to me by my therapist. (laughs) Oh, does she listen? I have no idea, but when I mentioned that we did this podcast, and this was like a year ago, she's like, oh, you should definitely cover this case. I haven't heard it that much. I would love to hear more information. I was like, okay, I'll put that on the list. But I couldn't find enough information to do like its own Mm -hmm. case. The name sounds familiar. 
I don't know. Um, I really couldn't find a lot of information. I actually only have three resources this time. Um, the charlieproject.org, uncovered.com, and al.com. Oh. And that's it. Um, so, yeah. So, I had actually never heard of this case prior to my therapist bringing it to mine. So, I don't feel like it's a well-known case, but I think it, at the time, maybe it was televised. Um but I don't know. It was definitely, it's, it's back in the nineties again. So oh, we have a theme. I know we kind of had a theme. Maybe that's what we should do. Nine nineties unsolved. Um, so it's been a long time coming. It's just not a lot of information. The few times I looked it up, it was kind of defeating. And so I never sat down to do it until we decided to do this joint episode. So I think it'll work pretty well with it. Hopefully I can get through it fairly quickly since Sorry, We're I ate up so much time. <laughs> so I'll go ahead and get started. Uh, when Carrie Lawson was last seen in Jasper, Alabama on September 11th, 1991, sometime around 3 a.m., she was 25 years old. She stood at around five foot six, weighed about 140 pounds, had brown hair, blue eyes, and a lovely smile. She was last seen wearing a red t-shirt, green khaki shorts, white socks, and size nine white Reebok sneakers like literally the quintessential early 90s outfit yeah i i can i can see my mom and my older sister in this exact same outfit i i, I just gotta be honest <laughs> uh and she also wore glasses carrie was the daughter of a tennessee millionaire from cleveland tennessee and graduated from cleveland high school she had just graduated from the university of alabama's law school she had taken the bar exam but was kidnapped before finding out whether or not she had actually passed. Although there was another place that said that she had passed and had gotten a job, but I think it was actually referencing her husband, which I'll get to. Okay. So some information kind of got twisted up, I think. According to her sister, quote, people were drawn to her in life and people are drawn to this story because of her innate kindness and innate beauty. beauty. She was the kindest person you'll, you've ever met. She said her legacy is her kindness and how you can make an impact on people just by being thoughtful. She wasn't a spectacular student. She wasn't a beauty queen. She wasn't someone who leaves their mark by being famous, but everyone that knew her felt like they loved, they were loved by her. And that was extraordinary. End quote. Like that. That's what I would want people to be able to say about me. Not that I actually am that way, but I would love it if people actually felt that way. No, no, no. <laughs> and amazing biography for a person no if you went missing i would just be on on the news being like this bitch she thought she could get kidnapped without me <laughs> look i don't care i don't care what you're doing with just just come and get me like she can't be without me are you kidding me she thinks she can do I this shit on her own. <laughs> Oh, no. Uh, her husband of approximately 18 months was named Earl Lawson. He had been born and raised in Jasper, Alabama, and had joined a local law firm after graduating from the University of Alabama Law School himself. So he had just graduated and passed the bar and was just starting at a local law firm. Do we like Earl? Uh, I'll get to it, um, but I, I think so. Okay. I'll be nice. On that day, Carrie and Earl received a phone call from a woman who said she was a nurse and told them that a family member was in the hospital at Walker Regional Medical Center and that they needed to get there quickly as the family member was severely injured. I'll take a mo moment and say, 
at the time, Earl's father had actually suffered a recent, uh, a lot of recent medical issues. So it was reasonable for them to suspect that he might actually be in the hospital. As Carrie and Earl exited their house to get in their car, a gunman suddenly appeared at their car and forced Carrie to tie up Earl. The gunman then took Carrie away from their home in their 1991 Ford Explorer. Which, by the way, they must have thought they were doing pretty good because they got a, it's 1991 and they got a 91 Ford Explorer. So that's a brand new car. She's from a billionaire family. According to AL.com, quote, the guy just comes up with a gun. I'm not even sure I had cranked the vehicle, Earl Lawson said. He had a mask on and told us to get out. In my mind, I'm thinking simple robbery and that I couldn't believe we fell for this, he said. He had duct tape and told Carrie to duct tape my hands behind my back. He told me to get on the ground on my stomach. I couldn't believe this was happening. Then they got in my car and they left. Lawson said he managed to free himself because his keys were in the Explorer. He had to kick in the back door to get himself inside his home and call 911. Then he had to call Carrie's parents, David and Harriet Smith in Tennessee. Quote, I remember having to call them and tell them what had just happened, he said. And that is maybe the hardest thing I've ever had to do in my life. And I cannot imagine because he's already feeling bad enough that he let this happen. But now he's got to tell. And and the fact that that's his second call is also kind of telling to me that he immediately reached out to her parents, too. And was yeah. like, this has happened. And so I'm just going to go ahead and tell you. I think I miss it. Uh, he called the police first, right? Yeah. He called 911 first. Then next call was her parents. Quote, what has been taken from me personally is immeasurable, said Carrie's sister, Margaret Smith. And I am not going to, uh, cub, cub, cub is in maybe I have four sisters-in-law and I'm close with them, but missing a sister is so difficult. That's the only person who shares your story. You lose your future and also your connection to the past, which I thought was a really strong statement, but makes a lot of sense. Her sister was on a business trip in Cincinnati at the time. I was talking on a payphone. My uncle called me, and then my dad got on the phone and told me that Carrie had been kidnapped. Carrie's older sister recalled. It was the next morning. My uncle lived in Nebraska. He flew his plane down. He flew his plane down. And he actually picked me up in Cincinnati. She was stunned. That doesn't happen to people. That doesn't make any sense. It was like the movies, she said. I fully expected when we got down there that they would have found her and it would be over, but clearly it wasn't. Friends, family, and federal agents descended upon the small town, which I guess it's small by comparison, but Jasper's Jasper's not super small, in my opinion. I wouldn't call it a small town. I would call it a small city, maybe. Well, Jasper sucks. Uh, It does suck, but it's still not, I wouldn't say small town. It's small enough for a small town murder to cover, I think, two cases out of there. And they have like a cap, uh, like cap. I wouldn't have thought of it as a a small town, but I'm apparently from smaller cities. So (laughs) you are. Whatever. The FBI set up a command post inside Lawson's home. Carrie's parents took up residence in a Jasper motel. Her sister stayed in the guest room at her sister's house that had a window on the front side of the home. Ugh, this part sucks. Quote, I was going to be at that house when she came walking up the driveway, she said. I can still see that driveway. I can see the window off the guest room. But she didn't. According to later in the article, quote, he would run you around every night. You'd go to location A, 
And then he'd call you on that payphone and tell you to go to location B, which might be 20 miles down the road, Lawson said. So I'll get to what he's talking about, but he's referencing somebody called the kidnapper called for a ransom, basically. And do we know, was it actually the kidnapper or was it? I'll get to it. Okay. The FBI, they're pretty direct on what you can expect, he said. On day one, they told us that the statistical probabilities of someone being found alive and well. And then on day, t- on day two, they told you again. You didn't want to hear it, but you appreciated it. The kidnapper initially demanded Lawson's father, Earl Lawson Sr., make the delivery in Coleman. When Lawson Sr. arrived at the site, however, there were about five police cars there, totally unconnected to the kidnapping case, purely a coincidence. Still... The kidnapper didn't know that and called off the drop. Family members demanded assurances that Carrie was alive and well, and Lawson spoke to her briefly September 12th. The FBI was taping the call, but the tape recorder was turned off, her sister said. Oh, my God. So we never heard her voice because the tape had malfunctioned. On September 13th, another meeting was arranged, and Lawson delivered $300,000 at a service station on the outskirts of Jasper. He called the payphone and said, I'm watching you now. I've got a rifle pointed at your head. Do you see the house across the street? Lawson said of the kidnapper. Lawson left the money at the payphone as directed and drove off. I knew, and I guess I was overly hopeful that the minute I got back to my house, the word is going to be that he released her and we'd find her, he said. But that call just never came. So two days after. No. What? They they left money there? Mm Mm-hmm. And it got picked up. I have I haven't gotten that far. Okay, because but he said he all I said was Lawson left the money at the payphone as directed and drove off. Because like the FBI doesn't let you just like drop off. I'm sure money. somebody had an eye on it. Uh, yeah, I was just like, we'll get to that. We're not okay, there yet. I'm Shut sorry. up. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> so two days after the kidnapping, Lawson called with the kidnappers' ransom demand of three hundred thousand, which her family gladly paid. Only as often happens in these cases, he didn't release Carrie and she was never heard from again. Over a week after the abduction, the vehicle was, and so I don't know what happened, but somehow they didn't, they weren't able to track the money and he did get away from it, by the way. What? A week after the abduction, the vehicle, the 91 Explorer, was found in the woods in Winston County, Alabama. The gunman was eventually identified as Jerry Bland. Once they identified him, Three weeks later, on October 1st, 1991, law enforcement officers, including the FBI, surrounded Bland's home in an effort to make him release Carrie or reveal her location. Unfortunately, Bland completed suicide before they could find out Carrie's location, and the majority of the ransom money was recovered from his home. What was... What? Yeah. Now you know why I was a little bit frustrated when I was researching this case. What was the point of all of this? According to the AL.com article, Bland left behind a suicide note of which the full contents have never been released. Authorities at the time said the note indicated the ransom money was in the attic, and that's where roughly $250,000 had been found. The note, however, left no clues on Carrie's whereabouts. So he could have just been a random person who saw it in the media because they were probably high profile and used that. As a way possible. to get money. It's possible, but then why the why the suicide? You don't want to go to prison? Because either way, you're going to go to prison. They're going to pin it on you. True. 
even if you didn't do it. But even if you did do it, like... All right. Well, here's where where some of your questions will be answered, sort of. Oh, great. Kind of. Not fully. Later, Bland's cousin, Karen Lancaster McPherson, was discovered to have taken part in the kidnapping of Carrie. She allegedly dropped Bland off at their house the day of the abduction and even told authorities that she had spent several hours with Carrie on the first one to two days of her capture, but had no idea about her whereabouts or if she was still alive. According to McPherson, Bland called her later and told her that Lawson had escaped and ran into a remote wooded area. For her part in Carrie's kidnapping, Karen was sentenced to life in prison. Per the charlieproject.org, Lawson was apparently chosen at random by her abductors, and the sole motive for the crime was money. That's not random. She wasn't chosen at random. You're her cousin, and you know that her family has... Not Carrie's cousin, Bland's cousin, the kidnapper's cousin. Oh, okay. But even even if you say, okay, so they don't know them personally, let's say they have no ties. The understanding is that you they probably lived in a nice house in a very wealthy neighborhood. Well, wealthy for Jasper. I don't know how much money she actually got from her parents. It seemed like they were probably well off. But it didn't strike me that she was, like, overly so. I think she was trying to to get out and kind of do her own thing. She was, I think she was a little, at least a little bit supported by her parents, but I don't think it was overly so. Well, so I don't I mean, think she was in, like, a wealthy area. I want to, I could be wrong, but I want to say one of the things I read was that they were actually in a trailer, but I could be wrong. Right. So, like, I, but they also had a brand new car. So, like... Give and take. I mean, she didn't have the richest clothing on either. So, but I mean, I also have to believe the people in that town had to have known who her parents were and known that she was from a wealthy family, if nothing else. Yeah, because Jasper's not that big. Everybody. And he was born and raised in Jasper. So, you know that there was an announcement of their marriage. You know that her parents had to have come from Tennessee for that wedding. You know they had to have visited them. So I'm sure it was known who her family was. Well, yeah. And at the end of the day, you know, um, a middle, uh, an upper middle class income can get you the richest of the rich, anything in Jasper as opposed to. I mean, in in Alabama in general, (laughs) after a few very distinct cities in Birmingham. (laughs) It's not not like trying to. I mean, it's one of it's one of the lowest cost of living states you can get to. Yeah, no kidding. It's not like trying to buy a house in the outskirts. Tennessee, where they're from, like North Carolina. her, Her status, as far as in class, went up exponentially when she moved to Alabama from Tennessee. We're by far. I'm just gonna be honest. I, I, could, so, I could move to Jasper right now and buy two houses. That's all I'm saying. Probably. <laughs> I struggled to buy one outside of Charlotte. <laughs> You're so jealous when we got ours. I know. I was just so mad at you. I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> uh, so apparently she was chosen at random. Her parents hired a private detective to investigate her abduction, and they believe a third individual was actually involved in the kidnapping. Many investigators believed Lawson's remains are buried in an abandoned coal mine between Jasper and Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Bland was a coal mining executive and had business connections in those areas. I kind of feel like that's probably a stretch, Uh, but possibly, I guess. 
Uh, she was declared legally dead in 1993, and her husband was has remarried, but her body was never found in spite of a substantial reward offered for its recovery. So, want to take a brief moment. It's, it's not much left of it, but to make note of something that we've brought up in the past about how this case was handled by the authorities. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about some uh, thought processes behind them, according to some people. The FBI took a lot of criticism for the way this case was handled. Oh, you apparently, don't say. apparently, once they were able to determine that the voice on the kidnapper calls was who it was, they were not obligated to obtain a warrant. They could have gone in that house. But instead, they surrounded his house and waited for the warrant anyway. Obviously, had they gone in without waiting, they possibly could have caught Bland and arrested him before he completed suicide. Thus, they possibly could have gotten Carrie's location from him. Unfortunately, that's not what happened, and so we'll never really know. But they could have, and there was no legal reason why they had to wait for the warrant. And, so why did they? Like not in to this mention, situation, as far as they knew, she was still alive. Not to mention, all it would have taken was for one of those FBI agents to light up a, a doobie and say, "I smell a little bit of weed. Let's go in." Like <laughs> you have probable I mean, cause at that point. Like, and they do, they do way worse things like that in other situations. But it's just like the question why, is, why didn't they? Yeah, why didn't you? And maybe and that's not clear, you know what, and maybe it was because they were afraid of him dying by suicide, and so they didn't want to like push him. But also at the same time, like, did, but they went in after they got the warrant. They waited until they got the warrant. So that's kind of like the motivator behind it. So it wasn't really waiting for that. I'm sorry. I'm I mean, what if he was? Love. And what if he was trying? He they gave him enough time. If she was in there with him, he could have poisoned her. And killed her in the oh, amount yeah. of time it took them to enter. So, like, what was the point? Well, and my biggest thing is the whole money drop-off. Yeah. So, that actually wasn't covered. I didn't hear that from anybody, but that's also a good point. It's Why just- was there not a tracker? Why was... Because it still took several days after that for them to actually find mm-hmm. out that it was him and, and find confirmation. It's not even that. Like, nowadays, if you if you... And I thought it was back in the 90s, too, but maybe it was like an early 2000s things where they kind of changed everything. If the FBI steps in and they if if you're dealing with like a negotiation of a kidnap victim, you don't agree to give money like that. That doesn't happen. Well, that might be something that's changed since, you know, then it has been 30 years. But, yeah, that's true. Ugh. Um, And and that's one point that I'm. I made on my notes, it's always easier to look back with information available now after the incident and say it could have been handled better in this situation. It very well could have ended the exact same if they had entered immediately. There's no way of knowing. Um, But I guess there is also just that small possibility that they could have caught him. He didn't complete suicide and you know, he would have found her or they even concretely found out he actually never had anything to do with it this was all a ruse to get ransom money and they continued to look yeah so 
Um, there's also the possibility that Bland didn't commit suicide and was actually shot, whether intentionally or by accident, and that the whole incident was a cover-up. By the that's FBI. Another, that's another theory that's been tossed around. Well, I'm not going to lay shade on the FBI because I don't want to go to prison. Um, <laughs> well, you have the whole Waco situation that happened. So, Oh, yeah. And that was... Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, oh, that was yeah. bad. And I believe that was not... That that was right around the that same was time. around the same time. So um, I don't. I, I think a lot of policies have changed <laughs> since this kind of stuff FBI. happened. Listen, if the current FBI is listening, no shade to you. Um, no shade that I'm going to say out loud. You guys have made progress, and you're doing better. We know. Um, maybe not 100, percent but you're definitely doing better. We all we can always improve. We can always improve. But all I'm going to say is, uh, they fucked this up. Mm-hmm. I <laughs> think so. And um, on multiple levels, especially I with, mean, the tape didn't even work. They could have recorded proof that she was alive and the tape didn't work. Yeah. And that's what I was thinking, too. I was like, they, come on. They had so many opportunities. Like, they literally had so many opportunities to catch these people, regardless of if they actually had anything to do with it. Because that's my thing at the end of the day. I don't know if they truly had anything to do with it because there's absolutely no proof outside of somebody saying sure we did it and in any case that you have regardless of what it is they're not going to take the word of somebody as like like you're leading evidence for a conviction no and and all they had was they didn't even really know for sure that he had done it. All they knew is that he was the kidnapper that was calling the family for the ransom. Yeah. And so again, he may never have even actually, I mean, you do have McPherson now going back and saying, I was there. I dropped him off. I spoke to her after, which is kind of weird. And I don't really understand that, but maybe she's covering up for somebody else completely. Or maybe there was a third individual and that person is scot-free. Or she's one of those people who wanted to take, wanted to be a part of something and just like made something up. Like that happens. That's why they keep, and I don't know if the FBI had evidence left out of this case that we aren't privy to. And like this person actually. Yeah, there's definitely other things that they mentioned that they, they mentioned having something, but that they didn't reveal what it was kind of like the, the suicide note they never revealed the the full contents of it which yeah is but you would think if if they have the person any case that you hear about the thing that they held back to get that conviction once they have the conviction they release what that thing is so that you are made aware of it so this just all that whole thing like sketches me out and i don't know if it's an actual like uh here's your guy here's your guy no uh, I, it, it just, it doesn't, there's no physical evidence and that's what's bothering me. Well, um, I will say, unfortunately, there were several attempts to extort the Lawson family later. One which actually led to a 15 year prison sentence, mm-hmm. which is crazy because that's more than some people get for rape. But going on, there were also some who believe that Earl Lawson had something to do with the kidnapping of Carrie, which is why I didn't go into it. Per al.com. Lawson said, I still do. Of course, it bothers me. It still bothers me. And it bothers me that my kids have to read stuff like that. 
Lawson has since remarried, has three children, and continues to work as an attorney. He doesn't talk about Carrie or the case much, but said that not a day goes by when he doesn't think about the kindness shown to him and his and Carrie's families. Most of those people didn't know us at all, he said. It's stuff like that that gets you through. We were, suppo- we were supported by thousands of people who didn't even know us, and that's one reason we've been able to move on. It taught me a lot about how to be a friend, and I never stopped thinking about the people who took time off of their jobs, time off from school, to search and cry with us. Also, Karen McPherson was up for parole recently in March of 2022, but she was again denied and is still serving her life sentence. She is 61 years old. And she'll be eligible again in March of 2027. So she gets eligible every five years. Mm -hmm. And that is all I have on this case. But I will also make a last minute thing because I can't help it. She is serving a life sentence for her involvement in a missing case. She's told everything, as far as we know, that she knows. And she's still in prison for her involvement in the kidnapping because they can't even prove murder at this point. And yet we have people that are convicted of murder that serve three, four, five years. The just food for justice our justice fucked. system is fucked. <laughs> it's so fucked. But Samantha. Not saying that she doesn't deserve it. I really don't know. I wasn't there for the trial and I wasn't the, on the jury that convicted her. But just saying. If you show remorse. <sighs> Isn't that enough? If you get a plea deal so that... No, there's a difference between showing remorse and pretending to feel bad so that they'll let you out and giving them what they want. I agree. Especially when you let somebody out and they uh, commit the crime again. Hey, I wrapped that up nice and quick. Yeah. So it's not a episode. You're welcome. <laughs> uh, I always say that, oh, it's going to be like, I'm, I'm writing up notes. And I'm like, oh my God, this is going to be so short. Like, I'm not going to have enough to say. Like, I'm, never. it's not going to be, it, it never happens. It never, no, I it cannot doesn't. shut the fuck up. I just, not really. No. <laughs> and literally, okay, like, but the majority, we, you know, we were going to try to do two cases tonight. I know we're not going to be able to do it. Uh, <laughs> So, if you're up for it tomorrow, we'll do it then. <laughs> we'll see. Maybe. Um, we'll see. We got to pull ahead again. We're falling behind. <sighs> all right. All right. So, so that's it. That's all I got. The, uh, good, two good unsolved cases. If you guys know anything, maybe you didn't even think you knew anything, and all of a sudden these cases jogged your memory. Mm-hmm. It's never too late to share information on cases that haven't been solved. Yeah, the 90s weren't that long ago. Um, <laughs> Your face. So. <laughs> oh my goodness. all right well good job me good job you good job oakley that we heard sporadically in the background um, her solo she's our third guest this week and every week um until that faithful day that we're all wishing for <laughs> samantha we're <laughs> I don't know. So terrible. <laughs> uh, you can find us on social media on Facebook and Instagram at Reaper Tales Podcast. And what about email? Email me. Um, but if you want Samantha, that's fine too. You can just put uh, this is for Samantha in the subject, and I'm going to not you, it. Montana. Yeah, I'm going to just put it in the trash can um, at <laughs> ReaperGals at ReaperTales.com. Email me your show suggestions email me to tell me that I'm pretty and I'm doing okay and email me um 
festival recommendations. Festival recommendations, yes. Um, and funny memes. All right. Uh, and last but not least. Oh, yeah. Please like, rate, review, subscribe. All the things. You guys know the drill. Um, written reviews are amazing and you get bonus points. Yep. And uh, if you're getting a wild hair, uh, we've been getting a lot of push to put stuff on YouTube recently. So if that's something you want, um, email us or message us on social media. We'll load some we'll... crazy visual videos. Yeah. Uh, I'm not I'm editing that. <laughs> <laughs> so let us know if you want that to happen. I know some people prefer YouTube as a platform to listen to stuff. So yeah. I actually have seen a couple of podcasts that it's literally just the podcast. It's not even actually videos. Yeah. It's just the podcast with pictures i don't really know yeah i don't really know how we would do it but we've again gotten several inquiries at this point so if it's something that you want let us know directly um and we'll take it into consideration also uh it sounds like a lot of work if my mental <laughs> health is okay we might do it anyways um you guys are awesome as always until next time we love you we mean it bye, bye. The reaper will come for us all.